This is Joshua Bell with the Kilt and the Cloth from my worship service this past Sunday, January 16th, 2022. I hope you enjoy. God bless. As you have found in years, the years now, years now, been here with you for a long time, five years, probably some of y'all's mind uh, a little longer because uh, I melt brains and things of that nature. I think about this a lot. When I go to class, I always come back. I'm a little amped, amped up. So I'm just warning you now that you're definitely going to want to strap yourselves in as we read these words from Paul from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were enticed and led astray to idols that could not speak. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking by the Spirit of God ever says, let Jesus be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. And to another, the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. And to another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the discernment or interpretation of spirits, and to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the discernment or interpretation of tongues. And all of these are activated by the same Spirit who allots to each one individually just as the Spirit chooses. May God bless the reading of God's Holy Scripture. Amen. Have to have that last verse. You see, this passage includes practical instructions and teaching on the use of the Greek word charismata or gifts in public gatherings. Some of this material is peculiar to the original hearers. For example, it's hard for us to understand what it means by the statement, no one ever speaking by the Spirit of God ever says, let Jesus be cursed. Yet much of this passage provides us with excellent guidelines for understanding the work of the congregation through each of us and our giftedness. You see, for Paul, everything done or offered in Christ's name happens through the community. It makes sense then when he says, all of these are activated by one and the same Spirit. Just as each one individually as the Spirit chooses. 
Now, it's important to understand that we cannot avoid the understanding of the Roman Empire. And the fact that these are written in a time frame of being underneath the boot hill of the Roman Empire. There's no way to avoid it. If there was anything that I had learned from last week was is that I have to stop talking about the Roman Empire as if it's in the background. As my professor, Dr. Warren Cotter, would say, it's as if when Paul and the writers of the Gospels woke up, they stubbed their toe on the Roman Empire. You see, it's, it's important that we understand that the people hearing this were not of the elite We have a tendency to think that this is spoken to a group of very educated people, and that is, that is just not the case. I want you to think about this in a different way. I, I wanted to do this at 815, but I just didn't get to it in my brain. It's this idea that if you were born a slave, every single moment of your day was devoted towards the Roman Empire in some way or another. And at the end of the night, when you have worked yourself to the bone, you fell asleep afraid that something could happen to you while you were sleeping and then were awakened yet again to do the exact same thing all over again. Not because you had a choice in the matter. It's just the way it was. So Paul's letters here between chapter 12 through 14 are, are the longest sustained treatment of a problem in Corinthians. The problem is, frankly, the abuse or the proper use of these spiritual gifts. You had a great conversation of this last week, so I'm not going to belabor the, each of these ideas. I'm going to belabor the idea of what do you do with them now? In this idea that as a person, as a slave of the first century, you have no choice about your life. And then Paul, Paul has this audacity to say to you that you can make a difference. And that your job is to take this difference, this gift that God has given to you to help your common human being. It makes total sense then when you say, to love your neighbor as yourself, you're literally talking about your other fellow neighbor slaves. You might not have much, but if you shared with each other, you have much more. Imagine this. These spiritual gifts in a community go beyond in this moment, in this conversation, just an opportunity of teamwork. It's like Basil the Great says in 357, he says, Since no one has the capacity to receive all the spiritual gifts, but the grace of the Spirit is given proportionately to the faith of each, when one is living in the community with others, the grace privately bestowed on each individual becomes, now here's the most important part, the common possession of others. If 
you use these gifts together, you are sharing it with one another. Why do you do these things, you ask? Well, because it's the ways that we show love to one another. Paul is not just challenging the status quo. He's teaching you how to survive in spite of the status quo. He's challenging the very society that they find themselves in. Besides not saying, oh, we need to get rid of the Roman Empire. He's saying that in this moment, we have to use these spiritual gifts to survive in it. Why? Because Jesus is coming back. Now I'm going to freak you out for just a second. I'm going to use a weird word. Paul is known academically as an eschatological writer. Eschatology is the study of the end of times. In the first century, everything that Paul's talking about is immediate. Have you ever noticed? He just, there's this anxiety with Paul's writings. I mean, I can feel it as I'm talking about him. You've got to do this now. He gets so mad at the Galatians, like, what are you doing, you stupid people? Jesus is going to be walking through that door any minute, and you're not ready. You have to have this anxiety when you read Paul. You cannot read it as if, oh, he's so happy. Because, right, look, let, let's be honest about this. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is the love passage. We use this at weddings all the time. But it's not just about that moment. You remember, I've said this multiple times. Paul doesn't want you to get married. One cannot serve a human being and God at the same time. Even though we use it, I use it all the time. 1 Corinthians 13 is a beautiful conversation about God's love. I just can't avoid it. But he's writing it with an anxiety, an anticipation that you need to understand what God's love is. And how do you do that? Well, by expressing, expressing the gifts that God has given to you. For some, you might be interpreters. For some, you might be teachers. For some, you might be blah, 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 blah. The point of it is, is that you, in order for you to understand the kingdom of God... You must do these things for the glory of God. Yes, we have to work together in order to make that happen. Yes, we have to do these things. You have to recognize what God has graced you with and for what purpose. And in those moments, you have to do it even if it feels like it's a drudge. Every breath that you take may be your last, Paul is saying. <laughs> I just hear my mom every time. I wanted to say this at 8.15 too. Every time I hear this, my mom would say things when I would do stupid stuff, which was about daily. Um, as she would say to me as I was talking back or doing something, she would look me straight in the face and say, would you do this if Jesus was standing next to you? And I remember, as I've said to you multiple times, there are moments that I would say, yep. And then there are moments of re re repentance and forgiveness. In this place, Paul isn't even worried about you being able to do this with Jesus standing next to you. That this love that God has given to you should be guiding you to do this on your own. He is challenging you to be spiritually mature, not lukewarm 
Christians. You each have gifts. You each have talents. You each have something to offer to the community. It reminds me of this story about that Chuck Swindle writes about animals who organized a school. It starts out something very simple. He says, once upon a time, the animals decided to organize a school. They adopted a curriculum of running, climbing, swimming, and flying. To make it easier to administer, all the animals took all of the subjects. Now, the duck was excellent in swimming, better than his instructor, but he only made passing grades in flying, and, well, he was very poor in running. And since he was so slow in running, he had to drop swimming and stay after school in running. Now, this caused his feet, his web feet, to be badly worn, so he became average in swimming. But average, well... It was quite acceptable. So no, no, nobody worried, worried about that except the duck. Now the rabbit started at the top of his class in running but developed a nervous twitch in his leg muscles because of too much makeup work in swimming. The squirrel was excellent in climbing but he had constant frustration in flying class because the teacher made him start from the ground up instead of up from the treetop down. He developed a Charlie horse from overexertion and so only got a C in climbing and a D in running. Now the eagle was a problem child and was severely disciplined for being a nonconformist. In climbing classes, he beat all the others to the top of the tree but insisted on using his own way to get there. So what's the moral of the story? Each set of creatures has its own gifts in which it will excel. A duck is a duck and only a duck. It's built to swim, not to run, climb, or fly like an eagle. And eagles are beautiful creatures, but not in a foot race. A rabbit will win a foot race every time, unless an eagle is hungry. Each of these moments that we talk about, our gifts are brought to this place because you have a specific peace that God has put upon your heart. In the first century church, this is the first time they'd ever heard that they mattered. Think about that for a minute. This is the first time that anyone of their same social status has recognized that Jesus tells them that they matter. Those gifts go beyond just the community of faith, but for the whole kingdom of God. And for the very first time when they draw breath, not only do they have a new sense of purpose, they recognize that they are, they might be a small cog in the wheel, but without them, the machine doesn't work. Yes, our congregation 
looks at and, and asks for specific gifts to be used for the glory of the kingdom of God. What if, what if we looked at it in the ways of Paul's community in Corinth, hearing it for the very first time? What if we envisioned it as a community that not only valued the gifts, but the deployment of them? for the common good for all. What would it look like if once you've recognized what your spiritual gift is, that we move beyond this understanding of congregation to community? And from community to the world. That's ultimately what happens with the first century church and the challenge that is left with us. How do we find ourselves in this moment? My hope is that whatever spiritual gifts that you believe that God has graced you with, that you hone that purpose, that you take the realization of that gift to share it with all of God's creation. Regardless of where we find ourselves in our daily lives, God has given us purpose to make a change in the world. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.